0: I'm Julie Swenson, Managing Director of Forward
1: Theatre Company in Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm Mike Fisher, Milwaukee-based theatre writer and dramaturg.
2: I'm Jen Ophoff-Grey, Founder and Artistic Director of Forward Theatre Company. And this is Theatre Forward, a twice-monthly conversation about theatre from a local, regional, and national perspective. From Madison to Manhattan, we're excited to share insight into our own company while exploring issues surrounding theatre in the Midwest and around the country. Welcome to episode 49 of Theater Forward. Whoa. Yay! (laughs) For this episode, we are thrilled to have with us one of our favorite commenters on and advocates for American theater, Howard Sherman. Howard's written a new book about the history of Thornton Wilder's classic play, Our Town. And we were so excited to get this chance to talk with Howard, not just because we're excited about all of his areas of expertise, but also because of our own hometown pride in Wilder, who was born right here in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, Howard's been executive director of the American Theater Wing and the Eugene O'Neill Theater Center, the general manager of Goodspeed Musicals, interim director of the Alliance for Inclusion in the Arts. Since 2012, he's been the U.S. columnist and feature writer for the Stage newspaper in London. And in 2018, he was named contributing editor of Stage Directions magazine. So, again, an absolute uh, fabulous human that we are excited to talk to. Welcome, Howard. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> well why don't you just start us off with what led you to write this book another Days begun and 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 what what the process has been like
3: oh gosh well that's a long question i mean the, <laughs> the, the the simple start of it was i met a commissioning editor at Methuen drama who who used the immortal words have you ever thought about writing a book <laughs> and um my answer was i i have but i wasn't I didn't have some specific idea. I just, as, as an avid reader, had always dreamed that maybe someday I'd write a book. And in fact, I'd sort of given up on it. Um, and so I took some time and was, was casting about for ideas and came into my head. I said, gee, maybe there's something about our town that I could do. Uh, and then thought, oh, well, surely there are you know, plenty of books about our town and and that idea was going to go away. but I did some research and then went as far as calling the Wilder family office and discovered that for all of the books there are about Thornton Wilder, there were not uh, a, not a not a raft there were there were no books other than uh, one or two collections of academic essays about our town my My other thought initially was that. Okay, what if I wrote a biography of Our Town instead of a biography of Thornton Wilder? And then I realized that would be insane because Our Town is 83 years old. It is one of the most produced English language plays in the world. It has had countless, literally countless productions over its 83-year life. And I would I would never be done with that book because there would always be more productions. So it might have made for a novel website, but not a book. So so what I decided was to narrow the scope, that, that I had to do something that was within my means, within my time, within my knowledge base, because I'd never written a book. Um, mm-hmm. So that's when I hit on the idea of the 21st century. That immediately limited it to when I pitched the book. There, That was 17 years. It's It's, it's now... 19 years. And then it evolved into doing these short oral histories of a dozen productions in that period, because again, there are hundreds, if not thousands of productions when theater is being produced. Obviously, we have a problem right now. And I don't claim these are necessarily the best productions of our town. I'm not dissing them in any way. They're all wonderful in their own way. But I think every production of Our Town is wonderful in its own way. And I could have picked 12 others or 12 other than that and 12 beyond that and come up with with an equally interesting book. But I just had to make some choices. So that is the somewhat long, short answer to
1: your question. Hmm. I love that. And, and Howard, did you see? Uh, you know, for for our listeners, it's amazing what's covered here. You go from very, very famous productions like the David Cromer production in Chicago and New York, and Paul Newman appearing at Westport, which I saw,
2: then, which I got oh, to see. Oh wow! <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> um, you know, to, to a school production and a high school production in Louisiana that was being done in tandem with the production at LSU. Did you actually and a production in Sing Sing prison? Uh, did you see all of these? Productions. I, I either saw
3: live or saw archival video of all, but I think two of them, uh, just because there, there wasn't video that could be accessed. I did not see the Royal Exchange production in Manchester. And what was the other one I didn't see at all? can't even remember now off the top of my head. Uh, I did see the Baton Rouge productions live, both of them. Uh, I did see the Sing Sing production uh, in person. So it, was, it had to be a combination. Again, on the one hand, yes, there was a huge universe of our towns. But if I limited my scope only to productions that I'd seen, that was going to be too narrow because the book wasn't about me and what theater I'd gone to. And certainly once I'd talked with people about the play, I could certainly talk to people about productions I hadn't seen because I wasn't analyzing productions, I wasn't analyzing anything. I was simply talking to people about their experiences of working on Our Town. I certainly loved when I got to see, it, but but it wasn't it wasn't going to be feasible. And I would have had to start have started the project years earlier.
0: The oral history that uh, resonated with me, and I'm still thinking about it. You know, I went. We went from talking to David Cromer and Helen Hunt, and and then highlighting the production with Paul Newman, and then went to the Montgomery County Emergency Services, and what started as team building staff retreat became this moving, meaningful production. For these employees, and I, that still, st- I'm still thinking about that and processing that and wondering for you, how did you find that production, and and what led you there?
3: I can't remember, frankly, whether the Wilder family office told me about it or whether Gabe Nathan, who uh, who who was the impresario of that production reached out to me. I'm, I'm pretty public on social media about what I'm working on. And in mm-hmm. fact, when I started the project, and I thanked a number of people at the back of the book, I just said, tell me about productions of Our Town you've seen in the past 20 years. Tell me about ones you find interesting. Because again, the, the, sca- the scope of it was simply too huge. So not that it was only two years ago, but lost in the mists of my memory are who are first told me about that production." Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was really interesting. I mean, what I found about doing the book was that, and this was in my ignorance of knowing how to write a book or what I was doing initially, I found that just talking to people about their perceptions of our town was not going to be enough, that it was actually going to be monotonous because we if you read the play or see the play, it's pretty clear what the message Thornton Wilder wanted us all to get out of. And so certainly it's interesting to find how people got to that. Unless they were just absolutely replicating what they think happened in 1938. But what was going to make a book was that I needed a story that was larger than just be put on a play. And so the context, the circumstances, the nature of some of the productions were as important as, and this is why I say they're not necessarily the best productions, but that there are interesting aspects to them. And certainly the idea of doing Our Town, that the staff of an emergency intake psychiatric hospital did it as a team building exercise for two performances may not be a production that most people got to see, but But, the people who were involved in it were really open about where they were personally in their jobs in their life and and their own struggles people who who spend their days taking care of people, how they needed to be taken care of, and what the the show showed them uh, about themselves so so that's where I hope as people read it they'll they'll want to go through it, not because they need 12 accounts of necessarily insight into Howie Newsome, the milkman, mm-hmm. but because there's something larger. And so each chapter is is tipped in that direction.
2: It is such a capacious play in the sense of, uh, uh, it makes me think of Shakespeare in in its adaptability and its usefulness both to the artists working on it and to the audience in so many different settings. I mean almost everybody was in it or saw it in high school almost everybody had you know but it's the professional productions as well and I'm curious about um, what what it is that draws you particularly to this play that made you want to explore it in such depth.
3: I have to confess, I initially started it simply because I thought it would be a worthwhile book. I like mm-hmm. the play. Uh, as I say in the book and I say often, I was deeply, profoundly, upsettingly moved twice in seeing it. I was not an early convert. It's not It's not as if I've loved this play since I was a teenager. I didn't do it in high school. <laughs> high school didn't do it. I didn't have to read it. Um I like to play now more than I did when I started because 115 people more or less spent time with me, guiding me to see things in the play mm. that I'd probably never seen myself. I mean, Jen, you know, you're, you're a theater director. You, you know, the intensity of work that goes into putting a play on stage and outside of the author, who, of course, in the case of our town, isn't available to us anymore. Who knows a play best? The people who spend day in and day out working on it. Your directors, your actors, your designers, your stage managers, who <laughs> spend a lot of time watching the play and, and can think about it beyond the cues. So so that's what I tried to do. Uh, there's, there's very little of me in most of this book. Mm. Uh, you don't even see me asking questions the the oral histories are just the people talking obviously i've i've decided what of theirs to include and where to place it and so on and so forth but as i said earlier i don't want it to be about my analysis i think Mm. lots of people can find lots of things in our town i don't think fundamentally my thoughts on our town were going to be that interesting and frankly i learned so much i they sure wouldn't have been that interesting. It's it's what's the experience of doing it? As I like to say, what is it to live in Grover's Corners for a period of time, eight times a week? And it seems to be, to a person, regardless of how they go into it, whether they love the play, whether they didn't know the play, whether they actually thought they knew the play and didn't like the play, they all seem to end up in the same place with it. Mm. You mentioned Shakespeare. I wrote an essay for The Guardian and made the, on the premise saying, "Is our town America's first Shakespeare play?" Yeah. And I don't mean that in the sense of the kind of language or in its scope. Uh, where it differ, where where I think it comes to be Shakespeare's, uh, our version of Shakespeare is, it is there's so little filled in, it is so bare bones that there are things you can fill in as an actor as a director, as a designer, without overburdening it, but take different approaches to to the work. Unlike Shakespeare, I think our town always drops everybody at the same place when Hmm. you get to act three. But but it's it's the journey, the journey of the rehearsal, the journey of the experience of watching a production that can vary.
2: I just have to say, I loved, listening to you describe your efforts to shine a light on all the people who worked on our town in this book, because to me that just aligns so beautifully with the role that you've been playing in our field uh, of shining, shining a light on, on the people who work in this field and who um, and who we need telling, telling stories. And it's obviously especially resonant during this incredibly challenging period that we're in um, as an industry, but uh, being a, you know, a follower of yours on social media and seeing all of the ways that you advocate for, um, and, uh, spotlight the the people who across the industry from, from the stage managers, to the actors, to the writers, to the designers, you know, to the ushers, it's really, um, it it, perfectly in keeping with everything I I know about you and what you try to do for the field. So I, I love hearing you describe it that way. Mike, you look like you had something you wanted to No, but
1: forget what I was going to ask before, because you've made me think of of something else that also comes up uh, in the book. Um, Well, actually, first of all, a plug, because before this book, uh, Howard had a book that he was very responsible for helping make happen called The Play That Changed My Life. And he writes the foreword to that book and he says, I wanted to know about the people in my business. In other words, the same tact that you see in this book was there. It was a generous effort to allow people whose voices don't often get heard, in that case playwrights talking about the plays that changed their life, um, to, to, to actually talk about that and to preserve that oral history. Um, so, But what I wanted to say specifically in reference to what Jen said, Howard, you have the essay that um, for the Looking Glass production, which... I did see, this is in Chicago in 2009. And as the chapter points out, there are props from prior looking glass shows that adorned the top of the, it's sort of were above the playing area. Um, and somebody, I can't remember who now in the oral history says, you know, this is like the sand castles that are washed away by the tide uh, in the in, in the course of what, that's what productions are. You put in all this work and they disappear. And I wonder if in your mind, as you're thinking about all these actors in all of these productions, some of whom are now dead. I mean, Paul Newman no longer with us who is memorialized in this book. Um, were you consciously thinking in a sort of meta way that this book would do something like what our town is doing, that it would be preserving across time the stories of people who we might not appreciate fully at the time, but who deserve to be remembered if we would actually pay attention to them?
3: No. I I think that would have been a different book. I I have to say that wasn't my goal. As I've said, I don't, it wasn't that these productions should be preserved among any others. What I wanted to try to draw out from the productions I chose, aside from their own stories or their own approaches, was, was, you know, how they perceived our town. And I I think this book may in fact, you know, become old quickly because there may be a couple of really groundbreaking productions of our town in the next five or 10 years. I think post-pandemic, we're going to see a lot of our towns. Mm. But just to say to people who might be seeing the play or people who might be working on the play, here are some ways of thinking about it. I very intentionally included oppositional thoughts about the play. I mean, again, the play itself, everybody gets to the same place, but people created their own backstories for these characters. They had to fill in because there's really not a lot there. And you have I had people who said Simon Stimson was gay. I had people who said Simon Stimson's father was an authoritarian who'd come back from the Civil War that's eulogized elsewhere in the play. I had people say Simon Stimson fathered a child out of wedlock. I had people say that Simon Stimson and his wife had a child and the child died. Again, the process by which people can look into a play and see beyond. And it's really easy with our town because on the surface, it's so simple. It's easy to look beyond all of these tiny details, these little breadcrumbs that Wilder strews through the play. And it's interesting. Again, I wasn't doing a deep dive, a dramaturgical dive or a literary dive, but I did look not only at the original published edition of Our Town of 1938, which is different than the version we use now because Wilder went back and re-edited it, about 17 years later. Uh, but of course, it differs from his handwritten drafts. And I've actually looked at his first draft of the play. He kept taking stuff out, he wow. kept making it less and less specific. And so, dramaturgically and analytically, it's fascinating to see that stuff. But it's also very telling about where he thought he'd gone too far in giving us more detail than we needed. The original published edition tells us uh, about when Mr. Morgan, who ran the drugstore, decided to up and leave Grover's Corners, and where he went. And right through his passing, we learn more about what happened to the Cartwright family, who we never see on stage, but we hear spoken of. They owned the mill in town, and frankly, they were the, the, the rich family. He kept taking stuff out. So I assume that it would be somewhat more universal. And while there's stuff in there that you have to, still have to look up, not unlike Shakespeare, I mean, mm-hmm. who knows about the phylo system of, of raising chickens? Right. <laughs> but <laughs> then you have to say, well, why is that in there? Why if he took out, he, took, he did take out a reference to the merchant of Venice, which would have told us that The people at Grover's Corners had some knowledge of anti-Semitism, even if there weren't Jews in Grover's Corners, Hmm. knew something about it. So why did that go? But why did the phylo system of raising chickens or a self-filling trough for the animals stay in? And it matters. It does matter. There's there's reasons for that, uh, that transcend the specificity of life at the turn of the 20th century in the provinces north of New York.
1: Mm, I love that. Yeah. But, uh, um, and this isn't quite a segue, but maybe it is in terms of the phylo system and, uh, <laughs> and, and the, and the trough on the new farm. Yes. Yeah, so let's get deep into the chicken yeah. But it is, re, but it is related because I struggle with this too. And it comes up in a lot of the essays I know in, in the Oregon, uh, Uh, oral essay that uh, oral uh, history that you have they were really struggling with the specificity of it being in New England and in Sing Sing as well but my specific question is David Cromer has a line in your oral history that just sticks with me and it's gnawing at me and I don't quite know what to do with it and he says the boring parts have to be boring Hmm. what do you think he meant by that well it's interesting I I
3: commented in in an interview I was I was did an interview with folks in Australia, the Queensland Theatre Company are doing the play right now. And I was was on a shared program with their director and and the man who's playing the stage manager. And I didn't speak about boring, but I did speak about people needing to be patient. Mm. I and and I think it's just a word choice on David's part. I don't think he means it's boring. But that's where Wilder's stealth technique comes in. You don't think, for a lot of it, you don't necessarily think you're watching much. You know, you hear from people who come out of the first act and go, nothing happened. Well, why <laughs> am I watching this? And they can come out of the second act and say, okay, well, the, the soda shop scene was very sweet and it wasn't it was it a lovely wedding, but... There's still a little puzzle as to why isn't more happening. And then it's all because Wilder has been drawing us in to this very simple, very calm day-to-day life of a community, only to then completely change our perspective on the community, on life, on the universe, on everything. And the hints have been there. The hints have been there from the first lines of the play that that's where he takes us. But if you've never seen the play before, you may not be picking up on them, not because you're dumb, but simply because they are subtle. And and only by seeing it multiple times or reading it multiple times, can you see that the third act is absolutely uh, foretold, even though it doesn't tell you what he's going to do exactly and how he's going to do it. Yeah. And that's, that's the genius of the play. It's also what lulls people about the play when they talk about the play in memory. They always talk about the first two acts. Very few people talk about the third act. Mm-hmm. Because the third act has its own thing that is really hard to describe until it happens to you. in. I love the juxtaposition of what you're talking about in terms of the
2: play, taking audiences to the same place at the end. Um, but also the examination of how, um, especially in the 21st century productions are able to bring other ideas. And that's where I think it, the, the comparison to Shakespeare, you know, for me as a director and you look at what, you know, what kind of story do I want to tell with this classic piece and um, the ability to comment on our own communities, our own towns, when we, when we work on it, It, you know, looking at the book, thinking of all my memories of our town and, um, starting with, you know, as I was telling Mike and Julie, I got to play the stage manager in high school and in Oregon, Wisconsin, 1987 for a girl to get cast in that part. It was a very big deal. I was very proud of myself. Um, probably the highlight of my very short career as a performer. Um, but, uh, In 2006, I got to work on a a production here in Madison, Um, the Overture Center for the Arts, which is now our home at Forward, uh, opened its Playhouse Theater um, with a production of Our Town. There's a lot uh, of that. Yeah. And it was di- like
3: open theaters with our, town. of
2: course, and celebrate this, celebrate our town. It was directed by Richard Corley. Um, I, I, I worked on that. I was brand new back to Madison. And so I was the associate director sort of getting to know the rep, uh, at that point. And, um, this is back in 2006, he was really trying to focus on the breadth of our community and he used a lot of uh, the theater faculty at the university. Um, he'd cast um, white actors as the Webb family and black and Latinx actors as the Gibb family. Um, Andre De Shields played the stage manager, Carrie Coon played Emily. Um, it was a pretty spectacular um, cast in production, um, but it was an opportunity as you were describing those first couple of acts, it it wasn't so much the message of the play in terms of its specific character stories. It was more providing an opportunity for the audience to think about their own town and to go through that that emotional and mental experience.
3: I I think we all project when we watch our town. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. And that's where the lack of specificity gives us the room to do that. I think that's part of what's extraordinary about it. When I say everybody comes to the same place, I mean, Wilder wasn't shy. If you miss it in the play, Wilder wrote an essay that ran the New York Times uh, nine or 10 days after the play opened called A Preface for Our Town and literally says, this is what the play is meant to do. (laughs) There, there There was no effort to cloak it in literary mystery. It was Here's the message of my play. But as David Cromer said, if somebody walked out at the beginning of the play, told you the message, you could all go home. It is the journey. It is the way he takes you through it that is so remarkable and that I think has stood uh, the test of time what you talk about in terms of as a young woman playing the stage manager, women have been playing the stage manager at least since the 1970s, Mm you know, authorized versions, uh, that, that it has been done multiculturally aside from all of the many countries it's been done in. It was done in Japan before world war II, Mm. but just the, the multi-ethnic, the, at one point, colorblind. Now, in general, we like to talk much more about color conscious, and there mm. have been color conscious productions. It sounds like like Rick did that yeah. with with the production in two thousand six, even before we we're necessarily using those terms. But in the book, there's there's this production from Miami New Drama, which actually had the Gibbs family was a black family where the mother was Caribbean and spoke Creole. To her kids, the kids didn't really speak it back to her much, but she spoke it and, and Doc Gibbs didn't. He was not Caribbean. So so there is that dynamic, the webs were all Latinx at home, they only spoke Spanish. So here you have this production that is in English, Spanish and Creole, which are the predominant languages in Miami right now It Mm -hmm. was very much creative for that community, but it is now a completely authorized text by the Wilder family. It's been published and it can be done by any company that's that's interested in, in using that approach. There's also the production in the book that was done by Pasadena Playhouse and Deaf West in which the show was simultaneously done in American Sign Language and English. And the deaf actors told me the history of Martha's Vineyard, which at one point, something like one out of every seven people on Martha's Vineyard in the mid-1800s was deaf because it was a fairly closed community and there was some recessive gene that came out in an isolated community. And so the idea that Grover's Corners would be made up of people who both signed and spoke wasn't really far off from the, from the historical record and created, as, as Deaf West always does, a pretty extraordinary uh, version of the show.
1: You know... Uh, you just mentioned... Oh, oh go ahead. Go, Joe no, uh, Just
0: real quick, you just mentioned Family of Wilder, and and that's throughout your book, and they gave permission to do this and encouraged this kind of casting. Um, just a, a thought in mind, how many of uh, the... Famous playwrights we've got in our world now, where the families now have locked, locked down the last production, and that there will be no changing. And we wouldn't have these incredible productions you've highlighted if the Wilder family wasn't open to change and allowing, allowing this to breathe, allowing this beautiful play.
3: Well, Tab and <laughs> Thornton's nephew is is the primary. Uh, head for the family of of the stewardship of this play. And there are things he won't permit, but he's very open to exploration, including the fact that during his lifetime, Wilder uh, told Aaron Copeland, no, you can't make an opera of our town. Tappan allowed Ned Rory to make one. There, by the same token, in the book, David Cromer tells the story and the fact that he discovered this early published edition and sort of unwittingly used it says that he didn't know there were alternate texts. He just had an old copy of it. But then thought, when there was the opportunity to go to New York, that they would do exactly the version they did in Chicago. And that's where Tappan said, I'm sorry, you really need to use the text my uncle wanted used and And so there were changes. Yes, there are estates who want to trap works and have them endlessly replicated as someone imagines they were done at that time. the 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 Wilder family has been extraordinary in allowing creative approaches to our town, which differ from exactly what what Thornton meant, but they all cannot, they cannot subvert the meaning of the play and they really can't alter the words. If they find responsible ways of having the play say more, that's, that's great. And so whether it's gender, whether it's race, ethnicity, disability, all of that is is something that they're very open to because our town is an all-embracing play. A lot of people, if people want to diss the play, they will say, and truthfully it was, it was written by a white man and it was written about a community that in its day would have been all white, but clearly there are people who can find meaning simply by changing who we see on stage and embracing a wider audience. And there are hints, again, there are little, little breadcrumbs in the play that make pretty clear that Wilder knew about the wider world, and that in some cases, the people in Grover's Corners knew about the wider world, and indeed that the wider world was encroaching on Grover's Corners, and there was nothing they could do to stop it. I
2: want to embroider responsible ways of having the play say more on a pillow. (laughs) I think that is, you know, if everyone in our field was looking for those opportunities with the emphasis on more and responsible, uh, I think we would all be very well served. Um, I, Mike, I'm going to let you, um, you had another question to ask, but then I think we'll start
1: to wrap our conversation. How, up. We could talk. I have so many questions to ask this amazing <laughs> man and this amazing book. Thank you. Thank you. As as I, as a preface to my last question for the gift of this book, I sobbed at various points in this book because I like so many of the actors in this book thought I understood this play, which I've reviewed many times, way better than I actually did. And I appreciate the gift. Um, with you channeling it, of having these actors tell me something, so many things I didn't know. I guess my last question, Howard, and I'm cheating a little bit because I'm getting a sense of this from your Twitter feed um, as as well, which is also very aware of the fact that we've had a, a a change in president in the last few days. You have chapters in here that are post 9-11. You have chapters in here about productions that are post the bombing in Manchester in 2017. Is is this play, in some sense, are you conscious of our town as a play, or of this book, which is a true gift? people, please buy it. It's just going on sale Thursday. Um, is this sort of another cathartic moment for us, another chance to pull together as a as a community in 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 the way that this play serves so many times for so many communities?
3: I can be pedantic and say, "Well, that's what the title's about." Another day's <laughs> begun. There's always, there's always a new day dawning. But I won't do that. Um, I think again, the world is always going through change, and with any play we see, we are affected by the context in which we see it, our mood, what we had for dinner, what's going on in our family, what's going on. What went on that day at work? What's happening in the world? So, whether it is the political, the administration change in the United States, the political state of the united states, the the pandemic, all of these things are going to be reflected in our perception of this play. I think the thing that will most affect our perception of this play, is when and how we've experienced loss there is a brief reference to politics in the play which fascinatingly doesn't mean what it meant in 1938 and this is one of the reasons things have to change there is a point where we're being told about the uh, political persuasions of the people in grover's corners and we're told it's 85 or 86 percent Republican nowadays, to be honest, at least the productions I've seen, that tends to get a laugh. It's not meant to be a laugh line. It's meant to simply be a reflection of this is what a town in New England at the turn of the 20th century would likely have been politically. There has also been significant change in what the Republican Party policies, opinions were at the beginning of the 20th century than where they are today so there's so much that that can be reflected i think i think the reason we're going to see our town a lot when theaters open up again aside from this tendency of people simply to want to inaugurate spaces with our town to to show to do a, a work that they feel can be all embracing is we've been without community for a long time we've we, we may have community online but we don't have community face to face and we are also going through a period where far too many people have been lost and our ability to reflect on that and to commune about that is something that exists within the capacity of our town. And I'm not saying there aren't other plays that may have the same the same effect. I'm just saying that our town, whether it's 9-11, whether it's the Manchester Arena bombing in 2017, our town keeps proving its ability to be a cathartic, sometimes difficult bomb. And I think that will... Will resurface again as soon as we can start getting back into the theater.
2: That's beautiful, Howard. Thank you for that, and thank you for joining us today. This was a completely wonderful conversation, and I, I hope that everyone listening is as inspired uh, to run out and grab the book and and you know revel in all of their own our town memories, as all of us were. Well,
3: thank you for having me, and yes, I I do hope people revel in their our town. Memories, And if people want to want to contact me, they can go on my website, H.E. and and send me a message. And I promise I, I will respond to you. It may be slow if there's suddenly an avalanche. But, uh,
2: <laughs> well, we'll hope for that avalanche for you. That would be absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Um, But for now, we'll say that that is it for this episode of Theater Forward, a conversation about theater in Wisconsin, the Midwest, and America. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Jenna Poff-Grey.
1: I'm Julie Swenson. And I'm Mike Fisher. Our podcast is produced by Scott Hayden, and you can follow us or share your thoughts on Facebook or Twitter at Theater Forward, as always, with an E-R.
0: And if you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you might tune in and be sure to leave a review.
2: We're so grateful to have you listening and we will be back soon for another theater forward conversation.